Hello there, weirdos. So this happened. We use a piece of software to record these episodes called Squadcast, and it has this infuriating habit of erasing your settings whenever you restart it. So when I recorded this week's episode, I left the window and then logged back in. And when I did, it actually took away my studio mic and started recording on the really shitty microphone that is attached to my webcam. So unfortunately, throughout this week's episode, I sound like I'm in a very old submarine at the bottom of a very deep ocean. So I've edited a lot of my dialogue out, and it's going to be a shorter episode than usual. But the facts are all there, and Dan does a really great job, and thanks for your patience. And to the people who make Squadcast, please, in the name of God, have a feature where you can save your defaults. Oh, so frustrating. Anyway, we hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for your patience. That's all for now. If you want to eat our food, then start buying it. Here at Gilboa Foods, we're sick and tired of you sitting on your fat wallet while our shelves get loaded with more and more fabulous products like shingled rice, frosty lettuce, Daryl's Attic Barnyard Fowl. That's right. All of these products can be found at Gilboa Foods, bringing you things that fill your stomach since 1982. Gilboa Fruits, start buying our product! Well, hello everybody, and welcome to The Weird. I am your host, Dan Lajoie, and sitting next to me is my little pal, Riley Stewart. Get that finger out of your mouth, Riley. I chipped my fingernail on something and it's jagged and it's making me crazy. I think that's how Alanis Morissette came up with the whole concept for Jagged Little Pill. Isn't it because she had a relationship with Dave Coulier? That's the rumor. Yeah, that douche from... Coulier. Ooh, ooh, he would make voices like that on Full House. Was he on that horrible house? Horrible house. It wasn't called Horrible House. What it was, was it called? Full House. <laughs> horrible house. Ba-dum, ba-dum. Does Horrible House not sound like something that would be on like a local cable TV? And it's like a monster thing and, and one guy does all the parts. Welcome boys and girls to Horrible House. Oh, you're thinking of Castle Frankenstein. No, that was supposed to be funny. Oh, you mean this is supposed to be scary? Well, he genuinely thinks it's a good TV show for kids. It's terrible. I'm Mr. Scary. Welcome to Horrible House. Like Disney and Nickelodeon shows. They're awful. Yeah. We could, I could go on for days about those. Anyway, let's do it. I don't know where they find the most annoying teenagers in the world, but they do. They find them. (laughs) It's true. We're looking for the shrillest girl we can find, and we're going to make you a star. They find them in the the Everglades. Isn't that where Selena Gomez came? Yes, the the Everglades. There's a, a magical pond where they all emerge from. Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, Selena Gomez... You know what? Now that you're um, you do G- Gilboa Foods, I'm going to do. Welcome to this week's edition of Horrible House, 
What does the Wolfman say? Arroo! There's my friend the Wolfman. And here's my friend um, <laughs> uh, Mr. Ghost. Hello, boys and girls. I'm Mr. Ghost. We're all here this That's weekend. the same voice. That's the best part. This week we're going to learn how to make jello <laughs> in cupcake molds. Scary times. I actually want to do that now. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Oh, that's funny. Jello in cupcake molds. Oh, I need to say something before we begin. I know I look great. You don't have to say a word. No, you don't. Oh, I should. That's horrible. That might be the meanest thing I've ever said. I don't even no, like that. No, not even close. I don't even like that I said that just now. That's beneath me to speak to you that way. Are you going to say anything? Uh, like, are you going to, you said you had something to say? Oh, I was going to say this, but, uh, so right before we started recording, I was going through the news and apparently there is someone who is claiming that they have solved, uh, the Malaysian, uh, airline, uh, 370 mystery that they found it, uh, 4,000 meters below the ocean west of Perth. That's wild because, uh, earlier today too, in the news, they mentioned that they found um, one of the original passengers from the Marie Celeste living in Toledo, Ohio. What? Yeah, she works in a florist shop. She's really happy. She said, you know, the boat the boat ride just wasn't going well. I heard that they might have gotten the date wrong. Well, she's still alive. My God, look at that. What will science uncover next? And they, they also caught a rabid dog in Eastern Europe, and it turns out that that was just the werewolf of Bedburg. It was just a dog. Okay, Riley, that's... That's going a little far. You're being ridiculous. All right. Now, uh, in all seriousness, tonight, Riley, I have a shorter episode. That Malaysian air flight, uh, air flight, air flight? Yeah, air flight was a long one. I think that clocked in around four or five hours, right? I fell asleep twice editing it. <laughs> so this one's a shorter one. In fact, this is the shortest episode. This is going to be is a bit uncomfortable. Uh, we may not even make 10 minutes. But will it be as good as Horrible House, right? It's the mystery of my curling socks. It's been missing for several months. Back before the summer, it had gone missing, and it was discovered. The mystery of the sock. It was found in the crack between the dryer and the washer. Mystery solved. Now, I do have a shorter one tonight, and it's a bit different. This one, Riley, does not involve aliens, I don't think. Uh, no demons, no ghosts, but it's it strange. It sounds like it's going to belong in Horrible House. No, it has nothing to do with Horrible House. Oh, my God. Do you want to hear the story? Yeah, I do. Totally. Sorry. Oh, my God. You should be. When have I ever hijacked one of your episodes? All right. So this one takes us back uh, 140-ish years to uh, France. You familiar with that country? I am indeed. Okay. So it's the story of Robert LeDrew. Familiar with him? Heard that name? Great. Okay, well, then, then you'll know the story and you'll probably ruin it by telling me things that I'm wrong with a lot of things that I'm, I'm talking about. All right, so Robert LeDrew's story begins when he was 35 years old and was the go-to man when it came to solving criminal cases in France. At that young age, he was already famed as one of France's greatest detectives. He was compared to, like, Sherlock Holmes. I know Sherlock Holmes didn't exist, but he's that kind of mastermind. If he was put on the case, it was going to be solved. He was the man who caught murderers and opposed all violent lawbreakers. He was well known for his part in breaking up black magic cults and the arrests of vicious anarchists, which were all the rage the latter half of, of that century in France. 
Three years prior to our story, in 1884, LeDrew had enjoyed one of his greatest triumphs when he had tracked down and imprisoned a group of political rebels who planned to overthrow the government. LeDrew had followed this by rounding up the French members of the Brotherhood of Social Order, an underground political organization which sought world dominance. It was a secret society. Although the Brotherhood's headquarters were in Germany, it had spread its evil tentacles, as LeDrew described it, throughout Europe. Its members were not restricted to any one class of society, wrote LeDrew, and I found myself questioning and even arresting bankers as well as dustmen, lawyers, as well as pickpockets, doctors, as well as the dregs of the underworld. So I bring that up only because he, this was a man who was not afraid to go after anybody. He didn't care what walk of life you came from, what class you lived within. If you committed the crime, he was coming after you. So what police force was he affiliated with, Dan? Le Sûreté, so the, the, the National Police Force. He would travel all across the country. In 1887, due to his track record of solving cases, authorities in Le Havre, France, 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 asked LeDrew to assist them on a case involving missing sailors. After arriving in the Normandy port, LeDrew quickly went to work and didn't stop for almost the whole time that he was there. It was a tough assignment, but after three days, he felt he was making progress. And, and by, by when I say he didn't stop, like he literally didn't stop. He would barely sleep. And, and a lot of the police officers noted that, were a bit shocked at how relentless this guy was. So it was, it was a tough assignment, but he was making progress. He uh, interrogated and questioned a lot of different people. He was finding evidence. And he discovered the sailors in a drunken rampage had sexually assaulted a couple of women in their early 20s, one of whom had a male friend uh, who was apparently no stranger to the police, who also happened to have a reputation for violence. So the thinking being that, that he crossed the path of the wrong person, uh, the sailor story had, had picked on the wrong person, and this guy had exacted some serious French revenge and killed them. It was a good start, but unfortunately, that friend had apparently left town, and, and at that moment, uh, no one knew where this guy had left, but he was on the lead. This was classic LeDrew, only within a few days, he had unearthed all this evidence, and it was only a matter of time, he felt, before, you know, he was going to be able to wrap this case up. He was as confident as he normally would be. The third day of his investigation, however, started off oddly. He had finally gone for a rest, you know, after working essentially nonstop, uh, he, he, the cops that he was were cops, I don't think they called themselves the police that he was working with. They, uh, they described him as being almost not all there. He was so tired and they finally encouraged him to go and have a, a, a nap, go sleep. So he did. And on that third day he awoke to find, and he was a bit put out by this, that his clothes were in disarray and that his stockings were wet. He wasn't sure what to make of it. He had a case to solve and he felt that he was close to nabbing his man. So he put it out of his mind and decided to deal with that weird situation in his room later. Perhaps someone had entered his room in the middle of the night. Maybe it was one of the police officers. He wasn't too upset by it. Like he was fine. He didn't, well, he wasn't worse for wear. All his valuables were there. So he, sh he, sh you know, shuttered that line of questioning off and compartmentalized it to deal with it later. But suddenly his investigation was interrupted by the local police chief who wanted him to drop it for a few days and advise instead on a strange case at St. Andres, the city's most popular and upmarket seaside, seaside suburb, 
where one of the landmarks was an elegant villa owned by the beautiful actress Sarah Bernhard. Not Sandra Bernhard. So, at first, LeDrew was quite put off that he was being detoured on his quest to get his guy. In fact, he called his superiors in Paris and asked them to not give permission to do this. What are you eating? And why did you just stick your tongue out at me like that? So he, he, he didn't want to have anything to do with this. This was not why he was here. Like a good hound, he was on the scent and wanted to finish his job. But Paris declined and told him he had to go. So LeDrew was ordered to take charge of the investigation of the killing of fellow Parisian André Monet, the proprietor of a Paris dress shop who had recently come to the coast on a trip. Monet was a middle-aged businessman whose wife, the real source of their moderately successful dress shop, was later to tell the police she had sent him away for a few days' break because he had had a summer cold. His snuffling and constant coughing had been as irritating for her as well as for her customers. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Just because you have a cold, get out of here. I'd love that if every time I had a cold, I was sent to the, the coast. So he was sent there to to recuperate, to relax. But unfortunately, his naked body was found on a deserted beach with a single bullet hole through his head. No bullet or cartridge case had been found, and initially the police had a problem establishing anything about the victim. There was no identification on or near the body and no trace of his clothing. However, that part of the puzzle had been solved by the time LeDrew reached the beach. The dead man had hidden his clothes under a bush some distance from where he was found, presumably to prevent it being stolen. In his jacket pockets were bits of jewelry and his watch, as well as a wallet containing money and identifying papers. Nothing seemed to have been taken, and so robbery was ruled out as a motive. Monet had no close friends and no known enemies. He was a mild and pleasant-natured man, and his wife could think of no possible reason for anyone wanting to kill him. The theory was that Monet had taken a moonlight walk, and was a long way from his hotel when, no one else in sight, the weather being so humid and warm, the sea so inviting, he had stripped in the bushes to enjoy a nighttime swim. And at that point, this unknown assailant had approached him and shot him. Why? They had no idea. The police had failed to find a gun, but as there were no powder marks, I think this is interesting, as there were no powder marks on Monet's skin, they were able to conclude that the shot had been fired from a a distance, you know, because if it's close range, then you're going to burn from the um, powder from the powder burns. By the way, I don't know if this has ever happened to you in any of the shows you've done. I've been shot at close range with a gun that had blanks in it and it hit my face and it hurt. It, it stings quite a bit and uh, it got my eyes as mm, not fun. And it makes you think of all the, the, the things that have happened uh, recently, like with Alec Baldwin and how dangerous that stuff is. Boy, so the only clue was a second set of footprints in the sand, not far from the dead man. And they looked fresh and they're apparently, I guess the beach was pretty, uh, you know, maybe the tide had come in and out. So there was really only these two sets of footprints, Monet's and the assailants. LeDrew shook his head when he first saw them and he said, this killer, if he did make these marks, was in his stockinged feet and that makes it hard for us. He said. So he noticed there's no, there's no foot tread. It was just a blank foot. Otherwise, we might have identified his shoes, and that would at least have been a start. 
While his wife was being informed of the tragic death and the search for the missing bullet was in full surge, intrigued by the killing, for which there appeared to be no reason, motive, or suspect, Ledru went to investigate the scene of the crime. Eyes on the alert, he walked along the sandy beach to the spot where the corpse had been discovered. As Ledru arrived at the crime scene, his attention was immediately drawn to the footprints that led to and away from the body. While examining them, it was noted that Ledru's demeanor changed. He knelt down to look closer, and the expression on his face showed he was suddenly upset. These look familiar, he was noted as saying. I have a feeling I've seen them somewhere before. For the next hour or so, the local policeman watched in bemusement as he, as Ledru just sat there on the beach, looking pensively out at the ocean, uh, apparently in, in deep thought. And they were like, what is this guy doing? Like he, he almost seemed like catatonic. They had imagined he would want to question nearby fishermen and beachcombers and residents and shop owners who uh, might have, you know, had something useful and helpful to say, but Ledru was not interested in talking to anyone. He repeated again that the footprints looked familiar and then ordered plaster casts made of some of the clearest footprints. Ledru spent the rest of the morning gazing at the plaster casts, which he took to a remote part of the beach and studied as if they were about to reveal something vital to him. He was like a statue, said one of the local policemen, a statue which was impervious to the hot sun and the incoming tide. He just didn't move. When he finally arose, he announced to the officers around him that he had solved the crime and there was no further need for an investigation. There is no need to stay here any longer, he declared. This case is solved. I know the identity of the killer. Lahav's police chief was outraged when this was reported to him. Impossible. Crimes are never solved as easily as that, he apparently shouted. Does he think we're children? Well, Ledru locked himself in his room for the rest of that day, and next morning, he went to face the irate officer. The cartridge case, he was told, had been found, and he nodded his approval. That, good, he, he apparently said something along the lines of, good, that might be the final piece of evidence I need. He then took the bullet and went back to his room. He was asked what he was checking on, and he said, as I said earlier, I believe I know the identity of this killer. The man is sick, very sick, and could easily kill again. It is imperative that he is arrested very quickly. Back at the hotel, he secured his door before taking the pistol from the locked box he had hidden beneath underwear in a dressing table drawer. Uh, and for some years, he had not carried his gun unless he considered it might be essential after an accident that he had had years earlier. And he felt like unless it was going to be a case where he thought he was going to actually be running after criminal, he just didn't like to have his gun. So he, he kept it locked in his room. The thought of accidentally killing someone had long been a fear of his. And yeah, so that was just, that was his modus operandi. Operandi? Operandi. Operandi. Opera. I like how I just take the user's time to sound out words. Now, a quick glance showed one cartridge was missing and that the one from the beach matched those in his gun. There is no room for doubt. He believed with all his heart, that he was in fact the murderer. He reportedly told local police, just as I thought, you need look no further for your killer. He is right here. 
I am the man who shot Monsieur Monet to death. Ledru shocked, obviously, his fellow law enforcement when he declared that he was in fact the murderer, although he had no recollection of taking the man's life. Ledru immediately made the observation that the killer was missing his big toe based on the footprints. The plaster cast perfectly matched his own footprint as he was indeed missing his big toe. The memory of waking with his socks and shoes being wet added to the evidence. So when he returned to his hotel, he had, you know, he, he could see that the footprint was, was a match. He knew that the bullet matched his gun and that he was missing a cartridge. He had no choice at this point but to board the next train to Paris with the plaster cast and death bullet in his possession, where he reported to his superiors. He poured out the story of what he believed happened that night and reconstructed the murder stage by stage. The killer, he said, had woken up in the middle of the night and put on his socks and clothes and had departed, not putting on his shoes. He had then left his first floor bedroom by the window and had made his way to the beach with its long stretches of sand and rock pools. There he had come across Monsieur Monet taking a midnight stroll and had, it seems, got into a conversation with him. I'm not sure what was said, went on Ledru. Perhaps the killer asked too many questions and the men quarreled. Perhaps Monet unintentionally annoyed or upset him. Who knows? All I do know is what happened next, and it was this. Ledru then described how he drew his gun, shot Monet through the chest, and left the victim to die. The murderer hurried back to his hotel, climbed in through the window, returned the gun to its hiding place, and went to bed. I don't think the murderer knew what he was doing, said Ledru in conclusion. I believe that he was walking in his sleep and committed the murder while in a trance. The man is sick, very sick, and could easily kill that way again, which is why I insist that I be arrested and put somewhere where I can do no more harm. Now, while Ledru was a brilliant detective, he was also vain and arrogant. But in addition, he had a bigger flaw, an obsessive determination to continue being seen as the country's top crime buster. To dissatisfy this determination, he worked excessively long hours. So I had mentioned at the top of this story that, you know, he had been here for, for uh, only a few days and had only slept a few hours. And often on, these, on his cases, he would work 20, 24 hours straight. And I think this arduous routine started to damage his health. He seemed so exhausted when he arrived at the channel port that he was advised to rest for a day or two before he even started to work, but he had refused. Too much time had already been wasted, he said, and it was vital to push ahead before the trail went still colder. However, by the end of his first long day at Le Havre, he could hardly stand, let alone think straight because of his overwhelming tiredness. As I mentioned before, even he was forced to recognize the folly of pushing himself any further, maybe a bit of a nap, a couple of hours or so, and he'd be fine. But it was at this point, experiencing extreme fatigue and exhaustion, Drew ended up committing murder, which you know what that makes me think of? Fight Club, where Ed Norton, did you, I feel like you don't like that movie, where Ed Norton is doing things without realizing he's doing them because he's, he's got insomnia, right? He can't sleep and he starts going crazy. All right. So no, it, it makes me remind, like, it's so strange. And I know that I've gone stretches in my life where I have not slept well. And it does start to do weird things to your brain. The worst is when you make mistakes and you don't know you're making a mistake. And you'll find it like two days later and go, what, on, what was I doing? Like, it's odd. I lost a job because of sleep deprivation. I was doing a night shift at a 
at a courier factory, like a, a not factory, but a, a depot and work. I couldn't figure out how to sleep because it was overnights. And I had another job where I was doing tour guiding and, and uh, slept right through a, like a major shift. And they were trying to call me and call me and I was out cold. But it had been about a week of not sleeping. Anyway, this extreme exhaustion, this fatigue, how hard he had been driving himself may have had lasting long-term impacts. His chief in Paris was astounded when Ledru said he intended to arrest himself. Get this. He didn't want to just be, he wanted to do it himself because he, he solved the crime, right? And, he, and he, he said, apparently, I don't want to be locked away. Of course I don't, but I'm too dangerous to be free. And he could have so easily swept this under the rug and no one would have known. No one would have ever guessed, right? His chief was not entirely convinced and apparently did not want to believe that his best detective, the pride of France, could have been the murderer. Ledru then took off his right sock and held up his foot, showing his chief that his toe was missing. He then pointed at the plaster cast and showed him that his foot perfectly fit inside of it. What he said is, what you're looking at there is my foot. Absolutely no question about it. And in case you still need more evidence, here are the socks I was wearing that night. He produced the socks, which he had carefully wrapped. And he said, they haven't been washed and you'll see that they have grains of sand on them. Get someone to check and I think you'll find they match the sand on the beach as Saint Andres. Now you understand, I hope, why I must arrest myself. So, the chief was in a dilemma. How could a person murder an innocent man on a beach in the middle of the night and have no recollection of the event? And why would he then solve his own crime, right? If that isn't what happened. So even though Ledru had admitted to the crime and had turned himself in, his superiors were not satisfied. They continued in their search for answers as to the why and how. The chief respected Ledru, admired his exceptional skills, and although they rarely socialized together, he regarded Ledru as a friend. He had a lot of respect for him. He could not put a man such as Ledru behind bars like a, crom a common criminal, and the French prisons at this time are not very happy places. On the other hand, he could not see how it was safe to let him stay free. So they decided on a compromise. He would say nothing about this meeting and to anyone except those who needed to be advised. They believed that Ledru was suffering from a sort of temporary crisis caused by stress and overwork that led him to imagine himself as a killer and was acting it out while in a state of deep sleep. So they decided to test their theory. Ledru would be given special leave for unspecified health reasons and would not be allowed out of his own apartment. There he'd be monitored day and night by trusted men. The watchers included a couple of police doctors working on a roster who stayed in his room at night. As part of a test, a pistol loaded with blanks was left on his dressing table. For three nights, Ledru hardly stirred as he slept through until morning. But on the fourth night, the doctor watched him, apparently still asleep, get out of bed, pull on his day clothes and pick up the gun. The doctor stood up from the armchair that he was sitting in and stood between him and the closed door. Ledru apparently gave a little gasp as if he was frightened and then pointed the gun at the head of this police doctor and squeezed the trigger. The doctor was shaken, but of course wasn't hurt because it was a blank. And then after this, he did this, Ledru calmly put the gun down, returned to bed and almost immediately went back to 
seemingly being asleep. When he eventually awoke, a little bit later on, he had no recollection of his nighttime behavior, but they had now observed it. So for them, this clinched the diagnosis. They didn't believe that he had done this with any malice in his heart. Uh, he was given permanent sick leave, Riley. And uh, for the next 50 years, he lived in seclusion on a farm outside Paris, and he was watched over by police-paid observers until he died in 1937. And here's a, some interesting things. So if you go in and you start doing some reading on it, you know, this idea of sleepwalking has mystified us forever, right? And there's many myths surrounding it. I know, I don't know about you, but I actually, as a kid, went through a number of years where I slept walk a lot and it was dangerous, like what I would do. Did you have something similar like that when you were a kid? Not no. at all. No, I've never slept walk. The worst one, and I, I was young, I would have been single digits, maybe seven, eight, nine around there. I was at the cottage and in the middle of the night, I left the cottage and went across the road to the neighboring cottage, which was my cousin's cottage and knocked on the door. And, and the, this is probably like two, three in the morning. And my aunt came to the door and must have been kind of terrifying. A little kid at your door asking if my cousins wanted to go swimming. And my Aunt Louise brought me back to, you know, my cottage, got my mom, and they got me back to bed. That same summer, my mom heard the door bang in the middle of the night and got, oh, no, Danny's up and doing something again. And I was going down to, she caught me on the beach. Like I, and it's at this cottage, it's, it sits on a cliff. You have stairs, steep stairs that you have to go down to get to the beach. I was on the beach on my way into the water when my mom finally caught up to me. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how terrifying that would have been? Oh, but just weird, right? So then my parents had to do, they had to lock the bolt, the door at the front and, and do different things like that. And I, I would sleepwalk a lot at home and it was very strange and eerie and, and, and scary for my parents, right? One, it's dangerous too, in a sense, because if there's a fire, like you have to balance that. I, I have a gate at the top of my stairs in my home um, that we've, we had when they were little, but we've left it just in case stuff like that happens. So here's the thing though, uh, people thought, you know, like with LeDrew and others that it's, they're dreaming and that they're dreaming these things and they're acting out their dreams. That's not the case at all because when we dream, that's actually earlier in our sleep cycle. And it's the, that first stage, the REM stage, uh, where the dreaming happens when we are going and we're paralyzed, right? When we dream, which is why you can sometimes have, have those nightmares where you try to wake yourself up, but your body's frozen. No, when this is happening, it's, it's actually after the REM sleep, you're in deep sleep, but something is just not ticking correctly and you are operating in an, in an odd way. The term for what LeDrew seemingly suffered from was called, uh, or what he experienced, or it was called a somnambulistic, somna, somnambulistic homicide, also known as homicidal somnambulism or sleepwalking murder is the act of killing someone during an episode of sleepwalking. And that is what they believe Robert LeDrew lived through. How many times has that happened? Well, this is the thing. There's been, there's been a number of pretty famous cases. I didn't know any of this. I feel like I, every story I go into, very few of them, I like kind of know. And I'm finding things. I'm like, what? What? All right. So there was the Boshears case, which is one of the famous ones. Sergeant Willis Boshears was a U.S. serviceman based in the U.K. 
Uh, he confessed to strangling a local woman named Jean Constable in the early hours of New Year's Day 1961, but claimed that he was asleep and only woke to realize what he had done. The following day, Boshears dispo- disposed of the body in an isolated lane. Several days later, he was arrested and charged with murder, but at his trial in February of 61 at the Essex Assize, he pled not guilty on the basis of being asleep at the time he committed the offense and was acquitted. All right, here's the uh, another case. Uh, in 1987, Kenneth James Parks was a married 23-year-old Canadian man, Riley, with a five-month-old daughter. He had a very close relationship with his 42-year-old mother-in-law, Barbara Ann Woods. The summer before the controversial events, he had developed a gambling problem and fell into deep financial problems. To cover his losses, he took funds from his family savings and then began to embezzle at work. And eventually, in March of 1987, his actions were discovered and he was fired from his job. On May 20th, he went to his first Gambler's Anonymous meeting. He'd made plans to tell his grandmother the following Saturday, May 23rd, and his in-laws on Sunday, May 24th, about his gambling problems and financial difficulties. Early on the morning of May 24th, 1987, Kenneth Parks drove 20 kilometers from Pickering, Ontario, which is near Toronto, to the house of his in-laws in Scarborough, another suburb of Toronto, Ontario. He entered their house with a key they had previously given him and used a tire iron to bludgeon his mother-in-law to death. He then turned on his father-in-law, attempting to choke him to death, but the man managed to survive the attack. He got back in his car and, despite being covered with blood, drove straight to a nearby police station and confessed, turning himself in, stating, I think I have just killed two people. Park's only defense was that he was asleep during the entire incident and was not aware of what he was doing, and apparently initially not even sure who he had killed. Naturally, nobody believed it. Even sleep specialists were extremely skeptical. However, after careful investigation, the specialists could find no other explanation. Park's EEG readings were highly irregular, even for a parasomniac. This, combined with the facts that there was no motive, that he was amazingly consistent in his stories for more than seven interviews, despite repeated attempts of trying to lead him astray, that the timing of the events fit perfectly with the proposed explanation, and that there was no way to falsify EEG results led to a jury acquitting Parks of the murder of his mother-in-law and the attempted murder of his father-in-law. The Supreme Court of Canada upheld the acquittal, and... That was it. Some doctors believe Parks should have been found to be not guilty by reason of insanity instead, but he was just granted, you know, a, a uh, an acquittal instead. All right, one more case, Riley, and then we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, there's another one, Brian Thomas, 59, who suffered from automatism and sleepwalking since he was a, tr- a child. I feel like I totally butchered automatism. Automatism. Here. So he had suffered since he was a kid, confessed to strangling his 57-year-old wife, Christine, in July of 2008 in their camper van while on vacation. He called emergency services and was heard telling the operator, What have I done? I've been trying to wake her. I I think I've killed my wife. Oh my God. I thought someone had broken in and I was fighting with those boys, but it was Christine. I I must have been dreaming or something. What have I done? He claimed he had mistaken his wife for an intruder, waking up to find it was his wife. He was freed in 2009 by a judge who found him not guilty of murder. And that's actually happened to me too. I remember having a dream once where I was being attacked and and I woke up and like I was about to hit my wife. I didn't. 
but it like it was scary it's like oh my god like imagine if i had like how terrible that would have been so riley that is the end of our story the case the the weird case of robert ledrew i love that he lived out the rest of his life in isolation basically as a hermit being carefully watched by others so he wouldn't repeat that crime i i think that that was the most just thing though you might not know the answer to this question but like for the rest of his life, did write about what had happened? Is it like, kind of like Hannibal Lecter, where other detectives would come and see him with their files and go, take a look at this and give me your thoughts? Like, did he not have any professional connection to what he had done? No, they made him go away. No, I mean, not that it was documented. Perhaps there was off the record things that had, that had occurred. Ultimately, it's a very sad story. An innocent man was killed and this Robert LeDrew's life was destroyed as well. I think they did right by him by allowing him to, but he was 35. Like he was a young guy and he was in the prime of his career. And I think it's very sad that he had that all cut short. He had, I mean, imagine he was, he was, he probably had another 30 years to go of working, maybe more. What good he could have done if this hadn't happened. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to The Weird. Uh, we love uh, the fact that you tune in and you send us those wonderful messages. Uh, we appreciate all the feedback we get from you. Uh, if you enjoy listening to The Weird, please spread the word of The Weird with all your friends, family, a magician who can create a whole uh, weird nation for all of us to uh, dance and sing in. You'd have to be some magician, so don't, don't just ask a run-of-the-mill magician to do this because that's a lot of work. And if he's not very or she's not very skilled uh, at their job, that is going to be asking too much. And we don't want anyone to feel put out. Good night, everybody. Good night and be well. Boys and girls, don't miss this week's episode of Horrible House. This week, Griselda the Gypsy takes us on a tour of the sewage treatment plant. And we learn how to make snowballs from ice cubes and a serrated knife. So remember, tune in to Horrible House, 5 a.m. on your local television network.